If you were with us last week, we began to see God pouring out his judgment on this world and this world's system. It's personified in chapter 17 and 18 as Babylon. Babylon, it started all the way in the book of Genesis at the Tower of Babel. There at the Tower of Babel, after all of humanity is scattered with different languages and scattered to the different areas around the world, a small group of people gather, they stay there. It becomes known as the city of Babylon. Later after that, we know of King Nebuchadnezzar. We could think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But truly, Babylon is just known as this world's system. Last week, we saw it as the world's system of religion and how many false religions are out there. How many false churches are even out there today. And today, we're going to see how this world's system of commerce and greed, commercialism, will one day be judged at the end of the age, during the Great Tribulation. One scripture we keyed in on last week was 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 gives us a great warning, and it's one of the many ways we should apply this chapter to our lives. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So again, we should be paying attention to our own lives, looking in the mirror, allowing God's word to show, Lord, do I love this world? Am I just consumed with the things in this world? Or God, do I truly have a love for you? In John 15, Jesus gives us a great warning as well. John 15, verse 18, Jesus tells us, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Earlier in John 15, Jesus calls us his friends. And we are his friends if we do what he commands us to do. And there's a great warning to us as we begin reading Revelation 18. Do we love this world? Are we fearful of this world hating us and not liking us? Again, love has been redefined in the day and age we live in. That unless you completely agree with someone, unless you applaud their lifestyle, their choices, the right things they do and the wrong things they do, if you don't applaud them and love them and wholeheartedly agree with everything that they do, somehow you do not love them and you hate them. And many Christians, we bow down to the idea of wanting the world to like us. We bow down to the fear of not wanting to step on anyone's toes or fearful of anyone not liking us. Jesus says that's not the case. That if we are not of this world, we must know that this world will hate us just as it hated him. What is this world? It's a combination of the world's religion, government, and commerce. And Babylon and this world are two words that can be traded back and forth. We can begin reading in chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. It's all on this world's system, the greed within this world. And we know that Satan, he's the god of this world. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Satan himself tempts Jesus. 
He takes him up to a high mountain, which is probably a celestial type place, an out of time type of place. And he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he tells Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, Paul says that the gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Satan, he's the God of this age. He's the God of this world. Last week we saw in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So we have to be careful. Are we falling prey to the world, the systems of this world, the greed of this world, the keeping up with the Joneses, the having to buy this certain thing or having to do this certain thing because I see everyone around me doing this? Let's turn to one last scripture before we dive in verse by verse here. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, one last scripture on how we as believers should approach this world, this world's system of commerce, this world's system of religion. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, First John warned us, do not love the world or the things in this world. Then Jesus warned us in John 15, you should be hated by this world. And when you're hated by this world, don't be surprised because this world hated me as well. And finally here in Romans chapter 12, we're here told, do not be conformed to this world. This world wants to take you and squish you into its mold and pump you out just like everyone else who's in this world. We see that. Everybody's chasing the same things. Everybody's a cookie cutter looking like the person next to them. We need to be careful that we're not being squished into this same cookie cutter, right? You see it all over social media. People doing the same basic things, doing the same challenges, following the same videos, doing the same dances, right? And it's the same video over and over and over and over and over again. Some of you, you've gone down the rabbit hole of seeing the same video over and over and over and over again, right? That's not to be us as believers. We're not to be squished in the mold of this world, but instead we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that renewing can only happen in and through Jesus Christ and in and through His Word. What is your mindset when it comes to money? One day money and greed and commerce, this world's system of loving money, will all be judged. And there's great warnings here for us. So verse 1 and 2, it tells us that another angel comes, has great authority, and the earth is illuminated with the glory of this angel. This angel cries mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. I think even for the bird lovers out here, right? I don't know if this is a place you want to go to. If you're looking at an Airbnb and you look in the reviews and, man, this place, it's a dwelling place of every demon. It's a prison for every foul spirit. And there's a cage here for every unclean and hated bird. I, I'd hope you'd pick a different place to stay. Doesn't sound like that great of a place, but money can really tempt us to begin to do ungodly things. Our morals can begin to move and sway depending how much money is attached to it. Some of us are willing to put our morals, turn a blind eye, put some money under the table depending how much money we think we are saving. And money can tempt us to do ungodly things to the point where we begin to idolize and worship the money more than God himself. 
It's a great danger to us. I remember a couple of years ago, everyone, everyone started becoming a day trader, right? Everybody had their app on their phone, everybody's trading, and everybody was consumed looking at the stocks going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, right? And it just overtook many people. Is that the same desire? Do we look at God's word with that same hunger, having to open our Bible over and over and over again throughout the day? What scripture does God have for me today? What scripture does he have for me right now? We could turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in 1 Timothy 6, there's a great antidote here to keep us from having this idolatry and worship towards money and towards earthly and worldly things. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, Paul is telling his son in the faith, Timothy, he tells him, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. That we should grow in holiness and we should grow with contentment. Being content with the things we have. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Again, it's been said there's no U-Haul trucks following hearses to the funeral. You can't take what we have with you. You die and it all stays here for everyone else to fight for if you didn't write your will in a good way, right? Or to not fight for and to hand things out. We can't keep these things for all of eternity. What should we do? Verse 8, having food and clothing with these things we shall be content. Now, all of you here, it looks like you're well-fed, right? We're all well-fed here. And thank God everybody here has clothes on. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> Paul tells Timothy, you should be content. Did you eat something? Do you have clothes to wear? You should be content. You should be happy just with that. And the warning here is if that's not enough to keep us content, verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed in the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There is a danger if what we are chasing in life is money, and wealth. If we think the only way we can get happiness is buying this thing or enjoying this experience, having this one next thing. It's the proverbial carrot stick in front of the donkey and it leads to nowhere good, only sorrow. It's led many to stray from the faith. So many people throughout scripture, they gave up on their morals for the sake of money. Right? We think of Judas. He's living with Jesus for three years. And yet the love of money, he fell prey to it. It's so dangerous to us. One of the most well-known scriptures in the Bible is Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's an incredible verse. A lot of people have tattoos about it, right? It's their wallpaper. It's the chant that they tell themselves. What's the true context of Philippians 4.13? Is it so I can bench press 325 pounds? Is it so I can beat up somebody else in a boxing ring? Is this so I can score that touchdown? No, the context of Philippians 4.13 is to be able to be content in any state of life. I can do all things through Christ. Christ can strengthen me to be content in any time of my life, whether it's the good, the bad, or the difficult. If we're honest, oftentimes when we struggle, when we have stressful thoughts, when we have anxious thoughts, when we're going through great difficulty in our minds, it's not because of food and it's not because of clothing. There's extra things we worry about in the future, in the present. I need to buy this. I need to have that. And we should be content. Food and clothing and God, that is more than enough for us. And money is a great tool. Money is an incredible tool. Don't allow any false ministry to tell you that money is evil and then to give the church all your money, right? Don't allow any false ministry to do that. Money is an incredible tool, a great tool for the kingdom of God. We need money to sit in the chairs that you're sitting in, to have the AC working, to have the lights on, to have the sound equipment. We do. God provides that money. But money is a great tool, but it's a terrible master, and when money is your master, money is what rules your decision making, it leads to a dwelling place of demons. 
a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Jesus gives us a parable of the sower and the seed, and he warns us that sometimes the seed, the word of God, goes forth, and the birds of the air come up and snatch up the seed. Jesus tells us the birds are when Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. This happens to many of us. God speaks to us through his word to take a step of faith. God speaks to us through his word to donate some money, to take someone out to a meal, to go on a mission trip, to go on this retreat. And then all of a sudden, the enemy comes and takes away that word and fills us with doubt. What about that money? I need that money. I, got, I can't let go of that money. And right away, that great step of faith, that journey that God wanted to lead us on, Satan has come and snatched that word out of our hearts. Revelation continues, says that the nations are drunk on her fornication, that the kings have committed fornication with her, that word fornication, we saw it last week, it's sexual intercourse between two people who are not married to each other. Any type of sex outside of one husband and one wife who are married to each other, that's fornication. But usually spiritual fornication is attached to idolatry. And idolatry is when we have a very great attachment or devotion to something. We're so attached to this. We're devoted to this. And there are things in our life that are our little idols. And maybe the car you drove here this morning, right? And if that thing were to get totaled, you'd be weeping. You'd be brokenhearted, right? Whatever the case may be, we have to be careful. It tells us that the kings and the nations are drunk on her fornication. They've committed fornication with her. And we see the evilness when government is just money hungry when people in government they're not there to help people they're there to help themselves and help their pockets we've seen the tragedy of that even in our own nation men and women making forty thousand dollars fifty sixty seventy hundred thousand dollars a year and then a couple years later they're multi-millionaires they've grown drunk on the fornication of money and of this world system of money not caring about others not preferring others just doing whatever it takes to gain that one more dollar. The merchants of the earth are rich through the abundance of her luxury. David Guzik points out, Babylon's sin was not only idolatry, but also pride, greed, and selfishly held wealth. In Revelation 18, verse 6, later on, Babylon will say in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I'm no widow, and I will not see sorrow. Some of the most wealthy people in this world think that they're untouchable, that they can get away with any crime, that they are above the law, that they are above the human being next to them, that the person next to them, they're not just another image bearer, they're a lower life form because they have so much money. And God is hates pride. Proverbs 16 verse 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Again, this world's system of gaining more and more wealth on the lives of other humans will one day be destroyed. In verse 4, it says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Seems as if God himself speaks here and now warns his people. The context here is for the saints of the great tribulation. It's for people who come to faith in Jesus Christ during the seven years of the great tribulation. However, there's a great warning for us today, and there's so much we can apply from this chapter in verse 4. Are we today in the middle of this world? Are we today caught up in the lusts of this world, the desires of this world? If we take you and your dreams in life and an unbeliever and their dreams of life, will there be any difference? Or are you so caught up in the world and the things of it, you love this world and the things of it, that we are acting just like unbelievers? In Luke chapter 17, some of the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? 
And within the context of answering this question, Jesus tells them in verse 30, Luke 17, he says, Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Then out of nowhere, in verse 32, Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. If you need a small verse to memorize, remember Lot's wife, right? Three words. Remember Lot's wife. Why? Verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. There's a great warning here for us. When Jesus returns, we need to be remembering Lot's wife. Because if we're seeking to preserve our life, if we're seeking to preserve our luxuries and our comfort and our wallet, we will lose our soul. But if we're willing to lose that, say, God, all my money is yours anyways, God. It's all yours. 10% no, Lord. It is all yours. It all belongs to you. What would I have if you wouldn't give it to me? That lifestyle, that mindset, you preserve your life. You save your soul. In case you don't remember who Lot's wife is or who she was, in Genesis 19, verse 17, God is about to pour out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot and Lot's wife are living, their daughters and their son-in-laws, their family. Right before God's wrath is being poured out, these two angels come to save them and pull them out of the city. In verse 17, the angels tell them, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. So God sends angels to save Lot, save his wife, save his family. But verse 26, it tells us, But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. You see, Lot's wife had a love for this world. She longed for the world even in the midst of its destruction. We have to be careful that we're not living like 1 John warns us, that we have a love of this world and a love for the things of this world. Charles Spurgeon tells us that she gave a lingering love glance at the condemned and guilty world. And by that glance, she perished. Again, there's some believers today that we look out in the world and we think, oh, they're having so much fun. I'm just stuck here in church. I can't have any fun, right? You, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. It's like I don't know if any of the men here, you, you're at work, you're at the barber shop, and they try to make fun of you. Oh, you're married. You got, you're stuck with the wife. You got the ball and chain X, Y, or Z. And it's like, no, dude, you're the idiot. You got no life. You got nothing. You got nothing in life. This is the best life to live. This is that type of mindset. But there are many Christians that I just believe we don't love the Lord that much. He's not that important to us, and that's why we look at the world with longing eyes. They're having so much fun. Couldn't I do this? It'd be so much sweeter if I could do X, Y, or Z. The question is, how can we tell if we have a love for this world? I want to make sure I don't have a love for this world. I don't know about you guys. Anybody here want to make sure they don't have a love for this world? All right, we'll be praying. We'll be praying, right? Maybe it's just for me. One commentator pointed out these three sins in Lot's wife. Her first sin is that she did not trust and obey the divine word. She didn't trust and obey the divine word that God had given the angels to give to her. The angels told her, escape for your life. Don't look behind you. Don't stay anywhere near the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. She didn't trust in God's word. She did not obey God's word. Believer, do you trust in God's word? Do you trust in every verse, every I, every dot on top of the I, every dash across the T? Do you trust in God's word? And not only do you trust in God's word, but do you obey it? Especially when it pokes our little idols. That's, that's when the great question comes, right? Do you trust God's word? I trust God's word. What about when it pokes your little idol, right? When it comes to vanity, when it comes to our children, when it comes to our money, when it comes to our wealth, our comfort, then where do we look at God's word? When it comes to loving our enemies and praying for those who spitefully use us, do we obey God's word? When it pokes at our thirst for revenge, right? 
Do we trust God's word? What was Lot's wife's second sin? She lingered behind. She lingered behind. God's word tells us that she was behind her husband and behind her daughters. It tells us, but his wife looked back behind them. She was behind Lot, lingering behind Lot. Her chief desire wasn't to run away and flee the the threat and the temptation and God's destruction. Her desire was, how close can I long and stay behind with Sodom and Gomorrah? There's a great warning here to us. Friend, are you the believer that's lingering behind in your group of friends that's Christians? Are you the one that's the least spiritual? Are you the one that is most trying to have one foot in this world and one foot in the word of God? To linger behind is a dangerous place to be. Just watch National Geographic, right? (laughs) What happens to the one little animal that's lingering behind? That one little deer, right, that has ADHD and is just looking around, right? It's not with the group, not sticking with the group. What happens? The enemy comes. The carnivore comes. The lion comes. The bear comes and takes their life out. And the same is true of our enemy. The devil, God's word says that he's, roar, he's walking around like a lion, roaring about, seeing who he can devour, We need to be careful that if we're not pressing on to this race, our enemy will find us lingering behind and he will pounce. Are you the most spiritual believer in your circle of friends? Find more friends and that they're more spiritual than you, right? But if you are the least spiritual, if you are the one that's lingering behind, trying to see how close can you be with the world and the word of God, it's a dangerous place to be. Finally, the third sin we can see within Lot's wife is that she looked at what she was told to turn away from. She looked at what she was told to turn away from. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit warns us, hey, don't take that second look. Don't take that second look. Hey, don't go back to that well. Don't go back to that friendship. Don't go back to that fling. Whatever it is, whatever your spouse has told you, don't go back there. Whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you, whatever God's word, whatever your parents have told you, don't go back there. If we're looking back towards that, it's a dangerous place to be. And oftentimes it's our sin in our flesh. One of my kids, I I love kids, they're they're the best, they're awesome, but one of my kids has a love affair with the mirror. Absolute love affair with the mirror. Whenever they see a mirror, they got to stop and stare, right? (laughs) They start looking in the mirror. No matter where we go, no matter what we're doing, literally our dining room table, they have to sit opposite of the mirror. Because if not the whole time, they'll just be looking at themselves instead of eating the food. And you can tell them, hey, look at me. Don't look at the mirror. And they'll start looking at you, and then their eyes will go. And then they'll start looking at the mirror, right? It's in our flesh. We see those signs that say, wet paint, don't touch. Some of us, not all of us, is it dry yet? Ah, it's not dry yet, right? got me again again God's word warns us turn away from these things don't give our eye to them that's why it's so important to be obedient to God's word and to flee from sin to come out from among the sinful people you know what's a good way to make sure that you're not sharing in the sins of this world run away and then stay away Right? Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Lot's wife, she tasted of the plagues of Sodom and Gomorrah because she wanted to share in the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you trying to play both fields? Are you trying to be in this world and and be enjoyed by this world and be loved by this world and go to heaven? That's not what the Bible tells us. There's an idea that's called situational awareness. And it's just being able to be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of the people around you. Where are the exits? What are people doing? And we're losing this more and more with our addiction to phones or music. Things just taking us away from where we are at today. But a couple of nights ago, I took uh, one of my sons to Walmart. And we're leaving Walmart late at night. He bought a new toy. He's just focused on a new toy. And I tell him, hey, we're leaving Walmart late at night. Got to be paying attention. Got to be looking at people. Got to be looking at people in the eyes and their faces. Got to be looking at their hands. Do they have a clenched fist? Our hands open? Do they have a weapon? You got to be aware of your surroundings. And many of us, we need to be aware of our spiritual surroundings. 
Again, what's the group of friends that we surround ourselves with at work? What's the group of friends we surround ourselves with at school? What's the group of friends we surround ourselves with in our hobbies, at the family parties? Who are we around? Because if we're constantly around sinners and not leading them to the Lord, it's a dangerous place to be. If we're constantly hanging around with the worst of the worst, and again, not preaching the gospel, not mission-minded, it's a dangerous place to be. 2 Timothy chapter 2 Verse 22, right? you could think of it, Timothy 2, 2, 2, 2, right? 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it tells us, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We need to come out of this sinful world. We should be fleeing, running away from Useful lusts. Run away from lust. And it's not enough to just run away from sin and run away from lust, but we need to run away from the lust and then run towards righteousness, faith, love, and peace. This keeps us healthy spiritually. If our whole life is just known on what we're fleeing from, we can quickly become like the Pharisees and we can quickly fall back into our old habits. Because then our whole life is how I'm better than so-and-so because I don't sin like they sin. It's a dangerous place to be. We need to flee. Be aware of your surrounding and then flee. Run away from youthful lusts. A few verses on this. Isaiah 52 verse 11. It says, depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Jeremiah 51, verse 45. My people, go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. Some New Testament verses, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. It warns us, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Finally, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Again, there's no caveats there. It's not, oh, if it's family, then you should still have fellowship with them. If it's a co-worker, you still got to have fellowship with them. If it's a boss, you got to still have fellowship with them. It says, no, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Call them out in love, trying to win them over, trying to win them over to the kingdom. But don't be sitting around there fellowshipping there. Verse 5 and 6, back to Revelation 18. It tells us that her sins have reached to heaven. The sinfulness of this world, its system, its greed, it's reached all the way to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double According to her works, in the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. Sandy Adams says that God has poured out a double shot of wrath for this world and for this world system. You see, the thing is, is that if we choose to be with Christ, then he chooses to forget our sins. And God sees our sins as having been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. However, if we choose to be identified with the world, if we choose to not run from the world, but instead be identified with it, if we choose to long for this world, if we choose to covet after this world, then God will remember our sins and he will judge us accordingly. I don't know if you're in a relationship with someone that has a very good memory. Sometimes it's difficult, right? Every little mistake, every mess up, they remember everything, right? I remember you said this five years ago, right? I remember when you did this ten years ago. I I forgot what I ate for lunch yesterday, right? What are you talking about? How fearful to think of the God that we just sung about that has no rival and no equal. He will remember our every sin. Our every thought, our every sinful thought, he will remember all of it. And the decision is out there for us. If you want God to choose to forget your sin, choose to be identified with him and with his word. 
Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 tells us, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's the God that we serve. It's such an incredible moment in the life of a believer, especially a young believer, when we realize God has completely forgiven us of every single sin. That he chooses to forget our sins and lawless deeds. It is a freeing place to be, to sit back and realize, wow, God has forgiven me of all my evil, all of my unrighteousness. But again, there's the other end of that pendulum, that if we choose to be a part of this world, chasing after the worldliness, chasing after just the money and the lawless deeds, then we will receive double what we have paid. The word render here is to pay a debt, to give back what is due. And this world's love affair with money will lead to a double payment, or rather, a double judgment. We can think of Romans, right? The wages of sin is death. That's what you're owed. When you sin, when I sin, what are we owed? Death. And we're going to receive that twice as much if we're not found in Jesus Christ. And this is all over Scripture. In Exodus 22, the law, anytime a, a, a thief was caught, if they wanted to right their wrongs, they had to pay twice what they stole. In Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, it tells us that they will sow to the wind and they're going to reap the whirlwind. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. We can think of Zacchaeus when he wants to be right and righteous. He pays back double. He pays back more than what he has stolen. And again, that's the decision for each and every one of us today. If you choose to be identified with God, he will choose to forgive you of all your sins and want to not remember them, to not judge you based upon them. He will look at the judgment he put on Jesus Christ, his son, and forgive you for the rest of eternity. But if we choose to be identified with this world, this world's system, this world's ideology, this world's religion, this world's love affair with money, we will be judged and he will remember every sin. Verse 7 and 8, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. David Guzik, he points out that there's three sins within this passage. First is self-indulgence. This world is just consumed with just being super indulgent. It's not enough to be full. It's not enough to be overweight because we're so full, right? We look at extra money, extra upon excess, upon excess, upon excess. Again, I love food. I like fancy food. Some people say I'm a fancy person, right? I like it. But do we need to be eating gold? Have you ever seen this before? There's desserts, there's cheeseburgers, and they literally put gold flakes on top of it. Is that healthy? We've got to ask the doctor afterwards, right? Eating gold, just living in this self-indulgence. Again, what is this about? The second sin we see here is pride. She glorifies herself that she sits as a queen. I'm greater than the people around me. I'm more important than the people around me because of the money in my bank account. I'm more important than the people around me because of the car I drive. I'm more important than the people around me because of the phone I have or the watch I have. Again, it's just pride. And thirdly, we see the avoidance of suffering. She says, I'm no widow. I'm not going to see any sorrow. And all of these are characteristic of worldliness and materialism worldliness and materialism and it creeps into our hearts as believers it does through our phones through the television through our neighbors through this desire of being liked and applauded by the world and the things of it and God he hates all of this in Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 it tells us these things the Lord hates yes seven are an abomination to them do you know what's number one on this list a proudful look a proud look. God hates it. It's an abomination to him, right? 
We got to pray. Some of us, we play sports and you make a basket on someone. You got that proud look, right? Whatever the case may be. It's an abomination to God. He hates it. The second thing is, right, this desire to avoid all suffering. James chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, it tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then it goes on to say, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Some of us, we read this, hey, James, what's your problem, bro? I can't laugh. I can't enjoy life. Why are you, why are you such a buzzkill, right? Just a fun vampire sucking the fun out of everything, right? Telling me to lament and mourn and weep, to allow my laughter to be turned to mourning, my joy to gloom. You see, what James is telling us is that it's better to mourn and have sorrow now in view of our sins, in view of our loneliness, and in view of the emptiness of our lives, and in turn, repent and turn to God. Instead of allowing this to harden our hearts. So many people, even people in churches, we drown out our loneliness. We drown out our sorrow. We drown out and we deny the emptiness, the meaninglessness of our lives with joy, with money, with food, and with luxuries. And what James is telling us is that it's better to lament and mourn and weep and realize where you are at today. And in turn, turn to God and spend the rest of eternity in joy and happiness and the greatest luxuries for the rest of eternity than to spend the rest of today drowning our lives away with the world and the things of it and then in turn spend the rest of eternity in sorrow, mourning, and gnashing of teeth. This world is just consumed with never having to taste suffering, never having to taste sorrow. We have to be careful with that. We should come to grips with the reality of death. There's some people, they don't like talking about death, right? Some people, they're fearful to talk about death with their kids, with other adults. I don't want to talk about when I die. I don't want to talk about that, right? For the believer, that's our graduation. For the believer, not just the believer, for every single human being, that's what life's all about. As believers, we should be quicker and quicker to bring up eternity, to bring up death. Now, don't ruin Christmas. Don't ruin Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> but we should talk about that. What will your life look like after you die? What will the life of your family look like after you die? As there's some believers that we get twitchy just talking about this, but we should embrace this because we know in who we've hoped. Right? We know who holds our salvation. We know who holds our eternity. And there's many people today that they have no hope. And they just drown their life away with the luxuries of this world trying to paint a happy face. Verse 9 and 10. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment saying, alas, alas. The great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. We see all of these grown men and women, all of these businessmen, standing at a distance, mourning and weeping, crying. So this is why some commentators think that there will be a physical Babylon. That during the great tribulation, perhaps Babylon itself will resurrect and be the main city of commerce and money during the great tribulation. Some people see Babylon as Rome and that will rise. And like we've talked about earlier, Babylon, it's had many names in a sense. You've had Babylon, you've had Rome, you've had Paris, you've had New York City, you've had Las Vegas. And all of this world, its systems, oftentimes can get plugged into one specific city or another. And whether it's a physical city that's going to be destroyed or whether it's just the whole world system being destroyed, that's up to God. Let's not get consumed with this. Some people, they get consumed and says, you see, the city's going to get nuked. That's what's going to happen. That's why they got to stand at a distance. We serve the God who, during Sodom and Gomorrah, he didn't need any nukes. Albert Einstein, he didn't exist yet, right? Manhattan Project hadn't happened. And he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah entirely. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. 
for no one buys their merchandise anymore. And now realize this. This isn't some people, they'll look and say, capitalism's evil. Money's all evil. We should all just live under bridges and let me take all your money and give it to somebody else, right? That's not what God's word is about. God's word tells us that money is a tool. And there are many wealthy men in scripture that were great men of God. If you've been reading with us, we read through the life of Job. And Job was a wealthy man and a mighty man of God. Satan told God, hey, the only reason Job loves you is because he's so wealthy. He has all this stuff. Job loses everything. He never curses God. He stays faithful to God. And in the end, God gives him double of what he had before. Abraham, very wealthy man. David, very wealthy man. And there's wealthy men and women today that use their money to further the kingdom of God. Money itself is not evil. It's a tool. It could be used for good. It could be used for evil. The, the warning here is we look at in verse 11 through 13. Look at the list of merchandise here. It's not just normal goods. It's all luxuries. It's all luxury things, extravagant things. And then at the end of this list, we see the reality of where we are at today. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. For no one buys their merchandise anymore. They're not weeping because they've caused so much destruction. They're weeping because no one wants to buy their stuff anymore. Verse 12, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, Fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. Again, all luxury items, nothing normal, not milk and eggs, right? And finally, at the end of verse 13, what else is on their list to sell and buy? The bodies and the souls of men. Again, this is the reality of so much of this world's wealth. How do men and women make so much exorbitant Amounts of money, oftentimes it's on the bodies and souls of other people. We have to be careful with this. This desire for the luxury things in life. Again, like I said before, I like fancy things. I like nice things. But we need to allow God to be first and foremost in our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus tells us, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body and what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? I can be content in the Lord. Don't be so worried about your life and the money and the luxuries. Let's turn to Psalm 37. And here's a great scripture. Hopefully a little bit of comfort for anyone here going through difficulty. Psalm 37 verse 25. Psalm 37, verse 25, it tells us, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Again, just be praying for our church, be praying for the people in our church. Many of the young adults, they're, they're engaged, they're dating, they're getting married, and many of them have a fear. How can I have a family? How can I buy a house in Miami, right? I think I'm going to move to Antarctica. I heard the housing situation is cheaper out there, right? How will I ever live? And I try to encourage them in this. Be concerned with your Right standing with God. Because God's word tells us the righteous, they won't be forsaken. Their children, their children's children, they won't be begging for bread. Again, we need to be more concerned with our standing with God than just our financial standing. And if we have a right standing with God, then we're going to be wise with our money. We're going to be wise with the talents that he's given us. Again, like we read earlier in 1 Timothy 6, 8, having food and clothing with these We shall be content. Be careful allowing stress and anxiety just because you don't have the luxuries of this world. If we had time, 
which we don't this morning. Again, most of us, we live like absolute rich and wealthy people compared to the rest of this world. Look at the rest of this world. They don't have shoes. They don't have clothing. They don't have food. And the things we're worried about and consumed about is our 10th pair of shoes, right? Our third suit, right? We, we have to be so careful with these things. But lastly, on their list of merchandise is the bodies and souls of men. And sinful Babylon has made trillions off of the bodies of souls and men, and sadly of women and children. Again, we could spend the whole teaching on this, but just one point here. This is an article from Yahoo Finance. It's an estimated U.S. revenue for each entertainment industry in 2018. So each portion of entertainment in 2018, how much money did they make? How much revenue did they pull in in the year 2018? The NBA in 2018 pulled $7.4 billion. Hollywood, $11.1 billion. Netflix, $11.7 billion. And the NFL pulled in $14 billion. However, a middle estimate for how much revenue pornography pulled into the United States is $15 billion. More than the NFL, more than Netflix, more than all the movie industry, more than the NBA. Again, this is just a middle estimate because everybody knows this is wrong. Everyone knows this is sinful. We don't have a full-out estimate of all the money that's pulled in from the porn industry. Yahoo Finance continues and says, Porn is therefore an economic contender in the U.S. economy just as much as any other entertainment property. The amount of cash it makes, the companies who indirectly make money from it, its experimentation with new business models, and its ability to influence lawmakers attest to the industry's economic strength. And with new technologies always looming, porn peddlers will likely find new ways to secure obscene profits. Again, this is our nation. Our nation. How many lives have been taken advantage of? How many lives have been destroyed because of pornography? Again, a warning to the church, to every single one of us here, don't act like your habitual obsession with porn is a small problem. Even though the whole world may paint it as a small problem, everybody's doing it, it's not that big of a deal, know that you are corrupting your own soul. You're corrupting your future marriage, you're corrupting your future children. It's a dangerous place to be. It warps our mind, it warps reality of what intimacy between a husband and a wife actually is. And it's just a terrible thing that's just a plague on our nation and really our whole world. And how many lives are destroyed for the sake of someone at the top making money off of this? How many lives have been destroyed because of pornography, because of prostitution, because of sex trafficking, and because of slavery? Again, this world, so much of the economy, so much of the billions and trillions of dollars, it's throwing lives and souls to the side. And one day God will judge all of it. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment. Weeping and wailing saying, Alas, alas, that great city was clothed with fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Again, we see no one who partook in this world system mourning because of the pain and agony that they've caused. They're not mourning at the lives and the souls that have been lost. They're just mourning because they don't have the stuff they used to have. They're just mourning because people aren't buying their things anymore. Verse 17, for in one such hour, great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, they stood at a distance. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, Alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, 
she is made desolate. Okay, in one hour, God's going to destroy all of this world's destruction when it comes to money and commerce. In one hour, whether it's a physical city and the whole idea of this world and Babylon, or if it's just the idea of this world and Babylon. This world will be mourning over it, but look at our perspective in heaven, verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Again, we should mourn and weep when souls are spending their eternity in hell. But we should rejoice when God exacts his revenge on this sinful world. Verse 21, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Babylon and this world system of commerce has led many into sin. It has caused many to stumble. And because of it, it will be thrown down like a great millstone. Jesus warns us in Matthew 18, verse 6 and 7. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Verse 22, the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman or any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. The destruction of this world's economy will be final. There won't be any thinking about it. There won't be any missing it. All right, we, we compare these two verses to heaven, where there's going to be sound, there's going to be rejoicing, there's going to be harpists, there's going to be craftsmen, there's going to be the light of Jesus Christ and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. Where is your future? Is it in this world and the money of this world, or is it in God and the things of God? Verse 23 and 24, For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. The word here for sorcery in the Greek is the Greek word pharmakia. Pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy, it's to prepare drugs. There's two ways to look at this. The first one is that the lure of commercial Babylon is like a drug addiction that's fed by deceptive advertising. Right? Is advertising not completely deceptive, right? You see the ads around Christmas, husbands or wives buying their husband or wife, right? Buying their partner a car out on the front drive, right? And it's all happy, all joyful. Of course, it's snowing perfectly on Christmas, right? They don't show the payments later on. They don't show, right, the tow truck coming and impounding the car because they couldn't keep up the payments. They don't reveal that. And I enjoy football. I enjoy fantasy football, things like that. The amount of commercials on alcohol, they don't show the full story. They don't show the divorce. They don't show the kids' lives that are broken. They don't show the debt, the gambling problems, the gambling addictions. Do they reveal that when everybody's playing the lotto every weekend, right? The people that have lost everything to gambling. This is deceptive advertising. The other way we can see this is how many people have made their wealth selling and preparing these drugs, destroying the lives of other human beings. Absolutely destroying their lives just so they can make more money. Finally, verse 24, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. The context here, it's good to be reminded of, is that the Antichrist will create the mark of the beast during the Great Tribulation. And there's going to be no way to buy or sell except through the mark of the beast and worshiping the Antichrist. And if anyone does not take the mark of the beast, if anyone does not worship the Antichrist, they will be put to death. There's going to be so much bloodshed during the Great Tribulation, but especially the blood of the prophets and the saints. Again, our God, he desires for all men to come to him and to know him. But ultimately, he will fight for and he will defend his saints. He will pour out his wrath 
on those who slew his children. So, how do we apply Revelation 18? Let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. And we'll close here in a moment. Again, how do we apply Revelation 18? I think the key verse for our personal application, it comes in verse 4. To come out of her. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. That there's many of us, whether we like it or not, we can quickly get pulled into the sins of this world. The rat race of just getting more money and accruing more wealth and having more power. How can we apply this? First and foremost, flee from this world. Run from this world. Flee those youthful lusts and run and pursue God and the things of God. Second thing we should do is learn to be content. Learn to be content with what we have. Like we read in 1 Timothy 6.6. Have godliness and have contentment and you will have great gain. Lastly, what should we do? Flee from this world. Be content. What's the last thing? Save up for the future. Save up for the future. Here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, pull a budget. Pull a budget of your spending. How much money goes to our luxuries and our comfort? And how much money goes to the kingdom of heaven? How many missionaries are we supporting? How many people have we taken out to a meal? How many ministries are we helping out? How many people are we buying Bibles for? Again, are we laying up for ourselves any treasures in heaven? Or are all of our treasures here on earth? And in a year from now, they're obsolete, right? We drop $1,000 on a phone, and then two years later, ah, I need another $1,000 phone, right? Where are we at? Is all of our treasure consumed in this world that will be destroyed, that will corrode, that will be eaten up? Or are we laying up for ourselves any treasures in heaven? There in verse 24, Jesus tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That is, you cannot serve God and money. You can't be serving God and money. Again, what is the chief desire in your life? Is it just money? Is it just financial security? Is it just a 401k? Is it just this car or this hobby, this boat, this house? Or is our chief desire the Lord God himself? It's a great warning to us. This is Jesus telling us you cannot serve two masters. Who is your ultimate master? And it's revealed to us, right, Sunday, Wednesday night, Friday night, youth group, Mondays, Tuesdays. Where is our desire? Oh, I could be making so much more money. I'll just skip church this time. We could think of Lot. Lot lost his wife. Lot lost his son-in-laws. And ultimately, Lot lost his daughter's. Because he made a decision based on what would be most comfortable for his pocketbook. He looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and he says, look, all the land there is great. He did not consider the sinfulness of that city. Our decision making, are we balancing in our spiritual lives? Again, it bums me out, it saddens me when there's some young people and they desire to be missionaries. They desire to serve God with all of their heart, soul, mind, strength, and they want to work for the kingdom of heaven. And then their parents try to dissuade them. Tell them, hey, being a missionary, you're going to make enough money. Working at a church, being a pastor, are you sure you want to do that? You, you can't do that. You're not going to make enough money there. I would love to start a new ministry. I want to get those parents and get the many brokenhearted moms and dads of prodigals and have them sit down and just talk and break bread together. Because our concern shouldn't be if our kids can drive a Lamborghini or something like that, right? Our concern is, are our kids going to be in heaven for all, of, for all of eternity? That's the chief desire. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What's our chief desire? Our soul or just gaining all the money and the wealth in this world? Psalm 20 verse 7 tells us, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. 
Worship team, you can come up. And again, may we just leave with that. Where is our ultimate trust? Is our ultimate trust in our nest egg and how much money we've saved, how smart we are with our money? Is our trust in how good we are preparing for the end of the age? Or is our trust in the Lord? Hey, let's all stand and we'll pray. We'll be closing in this song. If you need prayer, there'll be pastors up front. And again, I encourage you to pray. Maybe you're here and you're struggling. You've, you've lost your way and you've been sacrificing your walk with the Lord and you've been sacrificing your family just for the sake of money or wealth. Man, come up front and pray. Ask for prayer. Maybe you're here and you are, you're addicted to pornography. I encourage you, come up and pray. Many people have struggled with that. I've struggled with that in the past. Again, you need to break it. You need to come to someone, be honest and real, first and foremost with the Lord, and now flee from that sin. Run as hard as you can away from it. Maybe you're here and what you're struggling with is you're just addicted to social media. And you're just consumed. You're attached to it. It's the IV into your life. Man, we got to flee these things. Run from these things and pursue righteousness. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen us, Lord. Again, as your word has gone forth, Lord, I pray it would just cut us to the heart. May it be that mirror that has shown us who we are this morning, God, this afternoon, And Holy Spirit, strengthen us to run hard after you, Lord. May we not be like Lot's wife looking back at this sin or that sin, looking back longing for the things of this world, Lord. Help us to run hard after you, God. And Lord, for anyone who's here and is just fearful, anyone here who's afraid of what the future holds, God, I just pray that we'd press into your word, Lord. That we would ask you, Lord, we'd speak to you, we'd spend some time in the word and seeing if you've, any, if you've ever forsaken that righteous man or woman, Lord. Help us, Lord. Give us your Holy Spirit, Lord. Give us the gift of faith, Lord. Help us to be that faithful remnant at the end of the age, God. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to be bold to you, Lord. Help us to hate our sin and to love you more and more, God. May we have no shame in in coming to you and putting our sin out into the light. Lord, I pray anyone here who's hiding their sin, God, anyone here who's living that double life, Lord, may there be that shame and brokenness that leads us to repentance, God. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.